0: Hello and welcome to another installment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden, and Etchez Adokru. This week, we take a look at the proposals for a World Cup every two years, how it would work in principle, the positives of the plans, and the negatives. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and YouTube. Good afternoon, Etchez. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Can't complain. Uh, Arsenal won their first game of the season yesterday. Nice. So, all smiles, all smiles. I wore my Arsenal top for the first game we played Brentford, and just got laughed out of the pub. Uh, it was a very sad day for me. So I might, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going out to cinema later. Might wear it, nice and proud on road. And uh, yeah, I haven't really got much else to say about it. Really, I've been watching a uh, Ramsdale. If, if you haven't seen it, type in Ramsdale body faint. Timo Pukis tried to tackle him and he just sent him to the chip shop and back with a body feint and then just pinged it like 40 yards to, I believe, uh, I want to say Pepe slash um, Odegaard. It was it was beautiful. It's probably better mm-hmm. than uh, that messy free kick against Liverpool in the Champions League.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good, that. yeah. Oh, no, nice
1: one. Yeah, Yeah. Talk all this stuff. <laughs> I know how you, how you doing, John?
0: Yeah, not bad. When you wore that Arsenal shirt to the pole for the Brentford game, like you'd, prior to you turning up for that game, pretty mooted on the season but then when you turned up in that shirt I thought "Mm, this guy actually backs them
1: (laughs) (laughs) how wrong he was I've I've never seen you wear that before (laughs) we all all make mistakes in this world
0: yeah we do Um, I'm pretty good Solon won uh, again this weekend we've got four wins out of five which means we're top of league one which is uh, brilliant I've moved to Wimbledon as of this week as well which is quite good not far from the the new plough lane I haven't been in yet but it looks ultra modern like I went past really? it, it looks like a brand new shopping center in, like Dubai but uh I mean it's not as big as the as the Burj Khalifa but yeah it's uh, so hoping to potentially get to some games there which makes me a bit of a traitor as I support another club in League One um but you know it'd be nice to see some live football everyone likes Wimbledon as well don't they you know the crazy gang of old the club really went down um You know, that they resurrected the club, the fans did it. It's all very nice, lovely story. That's just basically me finding an excuse for why I'm going to watch another team in League One. But...
1: (laughs) Yeah, so the reason for this episode is Arsene Wenger, uh, the king, uh, the most iconic manager in Premier League history, at me if you want, uh, we can fight, (laughs) uh, do whatever. But he's mentioned now he has his new role within FIFA, which I'm sure everyone's aware of. I think he's head of development. Uh, and he previously said on numerous occasions that he wants to host two world cups or a world cup every two years sorry Mm. but the question is is that necessary you know um you got traditionists out there filling his dog the usual Mm. suspects who you know part of the acclaim of the world cup is that wait you know during four years so much changes in football there are new managers there are new players on the scene you there's that iconic picture of um is it not gabriel jesus uh who's in the streets of brazil in 2014 and then 2018 He's representing or he's playing for Brazil himself, you know so mm. much changes in those periods of time. yeah you know anticipation is built you know certain teams are rejuvenated, others are on the decline. but you know a part of that as well is is that as we're seeing our as football moves on, it's such a big sport you know and the clamor for more games and the interest is just so intense that I can kind of see reasons for it. And I also think that the the logical, the thought process behind, oh, if we have it every two years, it loses its sparkle. There's an element that the World Cup has already potentially lost a sparkle and this could help bring Mm. it back. You know, I think my, my dad always says to me in the 50s and 60s or even the 70s, back when TV was quite new, and it definitely wasn't broadcast. Football well, wasn't broadcast the way it is now. Yeah, there was this air. There's this air of mystery around loads of sides. I mean, you could see Brazil come in the '60s. I imagine seeing Pele in '58, you'd have no idea who this guy is, and he rocks <laughs> up, <laughs> and it's absolutely incredible. And I think that was kind of like the lure of the World Cup all the way back then. And it's, it's it's lost its way now with everything. You can watch any league all the time other than pirate streams if you don't want to admit you're watching pirate streams or... <laughs> i think you just have right there <laughs> <laughs> or, or if you're doing the traditional methods of using sky or whatever online app exists out there um but i think people are doing trying to people are trying to capitalize on the interest but on the flip side is it too much
0: yeah another great example of like a mysterious well a, well a mysterious footballer that you you see and uh, realize they're amazing the tournament would have been you Eusebio back in the day. There was also that story of like the North Korean team staying in, I think it was in Teesside uh, during the 1966 World Cup and played at like Essen er- Park, um, where Middlesbrough used to play football. And just stories like that are quite interesting. Obviously the North Korean side of today wouldn't have too many well-known players. <laughs> but as you said, um, a lot of the great players of that time um, wouldn't have been, they would might have been known, but you wouldn't be able to see who they are I wouldn't have seen them play football. Um, and yeah in in current day, we you know all the world's major talents play in the top five domestic leagues um, and European competitions. You know, it doesn't matter if those players are South American or if they're North American, if they're African, whoever they they all play in Europe, largely the best ones anyway in the top five major leagues and in the competitions. So we get to see those players regularly, as you say, uh, you know in the era of TV, but <laughs> no matter how you get to to get your TV. Um, so I mean people are wanting more big World Cup games. I think it's almost like paradoxical in a way because you know you want more of these games that are amazing but i think part of the reason and i might want to touch on it is you know part of the reason these games are so magical is because you're watching them every four years you know we see france against brazil right. for example once every four years and that's why it's so magical if that starts happening every two years or every year that becomes less magical because you see these matchups time and time again and does that almost is that almost paradoxical against what people actually want you want more of something that that actually then becomes diluted in terms of it's uh, and to an extent, we have experienced, I think, similar things in the Champions League in terms of that like dilution of of these top games. So we, we don't have any, we don't have more Champions League games now. But what we do have is more of the big teams playing against each other because, yeah. seemingly in the latter stages now, we're constantly seeing the same teams because they're getting bigger and bigger. So the likes of PSG versus Real Madrid, PSG against any other side, and the, you know, the top five teams. It's no longer this big spectacle because, you know, we see it year on year. I think on Tuesday, Barcelona are playing Bayern. I mean, that's a that's a group game. Um, hmm. But, you know, we're used to seeing these fixtures so much now. And if that happens to in the international stage, well, is that just going to ruin the allure? Because for me in the Champions League, it almost has to an extent. I'm a lot older now than what I once was when I first started watching European competition. But at the same time, I also see these games all the time now and it just doesn't seem as... I don't know, it's interesting to watch. They don't seem as, as large as they once were. Um, but this is an interesting topic because we all love major tournaments. The Euros is something that was brilliant. The World Cup in Russia in 2018 was brilliant. And also, I felt as if I had a lot of negative points for this, but actually it made me think the chances of England hosting a World Cup therefore increase quite substantially <laughs> Yeah, it does doesn't it? this happens. So that would be great as well.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you as well. I think... UEFA, FIFA talk a lot about how there's waning interest in younger populations, and I think they're trying to find the right mix to recapture that growth, as well as building the established growth which football already has. And they haven't quite got it right. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of football. There's a lot of football on TV during lockdown, and it it got a bit overkill,ed you know. And we don't want the same thing to happen to the World Cup, but at the same time, interest is very high in football generally. So they're trying to find that right balance. Yeah, but talking about the world cup generally you know first started back in 1930 um where the inaugural tournament was held only 13 teams were invited mm. so there's no qualifying you're just invited along for the, for the very lucky 13. um you know since then we've seen successive expansions format remodeling it's 32 uh, it's currently 32 teams which is a two-year qualifying process which involves over 200 teams around the world in 2026 which is in canada mexico and the us it goes to 48 teams mm which the traditionalists, again, uh, Phil and this dog have complained about (laughs) uh, because they, it's a a snobby view, I think. I, I understand that, right? You know, you can point to games like England versus Andorra and say, oh, it's a waste of England's time. It's the same if, uh, I don't know, Rwanda gets to the World Cup and they face England. People say it's a, it's a waste of their time. But there are so many fans across the world. Football is such a global game yeah. that for some of these countries to be able to even share the same picture as some of these players is such an achievement and such a spectacle for people all across the world. And there are upsets you know, as the famous Roger Miller goal for Cameroon in 1990, there's been fantastic moments across the years of multiple teams. And I think the World Cup needs that magic. And by having more of this side, you to potentially do that. But mm-hmm. That's a topic for another day. I think the constant growth of these sides, the commercialization means that everybody wants a piece of the World Cup, either in the TV or in the flesh, either tickets in games. And I can see why people are thinking, right, we need to do it even, you know, we need to shorten the time frame for two years because the demand is so great. And yeah. we've been talking loads about being able to go to World Cups because 2026 is a long way away. If, <laughs> yeah. you do, if you can't do 2022, 2026 is a long way away. Then if you don't do 2026 because it's very hard to go to Canada, Mexico and the US is very expensive. What do we do then? wait for the next another four years after that and by that point i'll be i'll, I'll be 68 by <laughs> first, you know, least, you know <laughs> running out of time running out of time to watch a tournament mm. um so i don't blame fifa for trying to essentially meet that demand
0: yeah i think on the 40 to the 48 uh, team point i mean i do think it's it's arguably too big i think if you look at the euros and i find the euros a success every time that's largely because it is 24 teams and even so that was extended from 16 I know that the Euros is, um, you know, it's just one continent restricted to one group of teams. So it, you're never going to have a 40-year team Euros, are you? <laughs> so there's, you know, there's more reasons than just the kind of uh, logic for that. Um, but I just, you do get a lot of games that are formalities. I know as you, I know what you're saying. If England play against Rwanda, say in a World Cup with 40-year teams, it's great for Rwanda. It's great for their development. You know, football is more than just, I mean, how many... Um, how many nations in, say, the continent of Africa or Asia that are growing and developing so quickly are suddenly having an appetite for the game. We've seen in the Premier League, like, with the whole, like, the the project big picture stuff, and even with the Super League, I feel like a lot of these kind of power grab moves from, like, the Premier League and the Super League are, in terms of, people see it as consolidating power, but it's a means of just, like, protecting their brand, and so they can also, with the Super League and Co, try and (laughs) work on getting that brand shipped overseas. It's no longer about, okay, can we build fans in europe as well can we build fans in these developing nations in asia and africa and i, I kind of get i kind of get the sense that's what fifa are trying to do here in mm-hmm. a sense that they're trying to you know particularly for like maybe it's in asia and, and in africa as well where you know the african cup of nations is a big competition as, as well but uh, compared to the euros and the cup of america but you know for, for some areas of the world where they don't have that potentially that continental competition that isn't as big as say the euros is for us anyway um then another World Cup every two years is great, um, and also it allows them to see the best players. You might have a, a continental competition in Asia, but you're not going to get any of the the top players currently because they're not as developed footballing wise. Whereas, with if the World Cup comes to town, then you're going to see those players. Uh, and again, I mean, kind of contrastingly to what I've just said, really is you know World Cup is you know a global competition and it needs to be inclusive to all. So in theory, if you make it four year teams, that allows you to continuously expand the qualifying. Um, and also the competition itself to actually take in more teams from around the world even in theory even though in theory the qualifying should cater for that um but then again if it's so hard for these teams to actually even get into the competition (laughs) what's Mm. the the point for them
1: and and you touched on qualifying just then that's that's the next point is how is it going to work i think the international format of qualifying in particular in europe because that's where our lens is focused on uh, because we are in the shores or in that continent Mm. um it's kind of flawed there's this age-old argument about oh there should be pre-qualifying for certain sides and all that sort of stuff which I've always been in favor of and I've been in favor Mm. of it because um I'm Nigerian as well and they do in Africa and I I just think it's a lot easier I get the whole Andorans should have the choice or chance to be able to play with England and stuff I, I I do understand that but I also think there's a massive element where if teams like Andorra win consistently in pre qualifying, that will actually better them in the long run to actually go into the, the the final group stage, as it were, to then compete for a World Cup place. Rather than some of these sides, unfortunately, don't score goals for most of the group, and it can be quite demoralising. It's, it's great to show a picture of like closer and stuff, and you know all these players. But then if you're not going to win, then you know you need that element to it. So what Wenger suggested is. Two international breaks in March and October, uh, with four, with only four nations in a group playing six qualifying games, which he believes will ensure more high state games and high emotions. Um, so we, we, that will probably allude to having uh, pre qualifying like we already see in Africa, or we'd have a hell of a lot of groups. So I don't know how that would work in terms of the seeding and stuff, because mm. um, we, we could end up seeing some very interesting groups. Um, so it waits to be seen how they'll actually do that.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine you know, the pre qualifying would happen obviously prior and then it would come through to the main qualifying parts, which would then seed in a very quite similar way, perhaps. I'm not sure. I think your point on qualifying is very apt. Um, because I don't think it's a good, I don't think it's good for San Marino. The, I know San Marino is a very, very extreme example because it's a very tiny population there, but for any minnow in football, I don't think it's a good thing to go to Wembley and get beat seven nil off England. Like, what is that good for the nation? I don't think it is. As you said, the picture with Rooney or with Kane, sorry. Um, is great, but it actually, might benefit them more to be playing in qualifying groups amid their peers, who are actually are similar um, of a similar size and have more competitive games. Because then that's going to, you know, create more wins, spark more interest in the sport in that country as well, um, and actually allow them to develop rather than, you know, finishing bottom of Group F World Cup qualifying group with England top. You know, having lost, having scored once. I think there's a Twitter account. Sam, have Sam or scored yet? <laughs> And uh, it's got like a, a number of thousands of followers. And just that just symbolizes um, how small they are. And they, they score like one once or twice per qualifying round. That might even be less. Hmm. So I, I think I think the pre-qualifying is a really good one, even, you know, absent to this discussion about two, um, a welcome every two years. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's, it's one of them, isn't it? I think...
1: they're on the the money with a lot of this, is there is a problem within the international game is whether the proposals they're putting forward are the right ones. Um, I, I do think, yeah, it would be nicer to have shorter qualifying campaigns. It'd be nicer for it to be a lot cleaner, but is it feasible um, you know, wenger has gone and said four nations. Or what's he talking about? Is he talking about the whole world? Because how will that mm. work in South America where they have one group? How will that work in Africa where there's fifty-two yeah. countries, like or mm. 50, 51, 52, I can't remember the precise number. You know, how how can you be so sure that it's going to work across the board? There have to be some tinkering uh with, with that as well and kind of the benefits as well you know because there are some benefits to this is you know the traditionalists might complain and be like oh you know it's diminishing the value of the tournament but you know overall no one's going to say no mm-hmm. you know you're seeing kylian mbappe you're seeing neymar you're seeing messi who you know is, is close to retiring and ronaldo as well all the all, so many great players across multiple nations across the world you know you're not going to say no to see them go head to head uh on a more frequent uh, basis but you know the the big issue in all of this and it kind of comes into the club versus country divide as always will the clubs be happy i think the clubs are never happy i don't think they'll be happy until there's no world cup or no euros because mm. <laughs> it's always a, it's literally always a problem can i go to the olympics no nope. can, right? can i go to can i go to this friendly no it's like all right okay can i can i go to no you yeah, can't for, go to that. Will you sign
0: your like, contract nope <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it's you know it's constant right you know the, the clubs have so much power they pay the wages and stuff so That'll run below but we'll come on to that in terms of the negatives. I think a really interesting one, which I was doing some research about, was the backlog of hosting nations. I have read that Morocco have tried to host the con- uh, competition at five occasions. I know that FIFA are very keen to get the World Cup moving across the globe. Yeah, it's great when it's in Europe and America, but we, we have to come out of, and South America as well, we have to get out of that logic. Football is so global. I think sometimes as fans, especially in this country, we really don't understand how big it is. You know, I know football's massive in Nigeria, I know it's massive in Africa, I know it's massive in Asia, Japan, especially with the players that are moving. Because of globalisation, some of these people's favourite stars are in England, they're in Italy, they're in Germany Mm. playing, they're in the Western game playing. So, so many of these countries would absolutely love to host a tournament. So what hosting every two years does is it, you know, it it releases that backlog. You know, you mentioned England, I'm sure England want to host, I know Boris Johnson said that. But as the recent news has shown, Boris Johnson says a lot of things. So <laughs> it's one of those. I mean, I know South America would love to have it back, you know, with the success of Brazil and Argentina. I'm sure there'll be countries there. And also other nations as well. I know that the Middle East are now very keen after uh, Qatar. We haven't actually hosted it yet, but I know Saudi Arabia have been interested. Australia have always spoken about it. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it would really release that backlog of countries to actually say, OK, you can host this tournament and then people aren't crying because yeah yeah, no no one wants to see grown men in suits crying (laughs) um the the international calendar is actually now set all the way to 2026 um so so no change can really take place until then uh is definitely going to rumble on for a very long period of time um so it will be very interesting to see kind of who throws the toys out the pram first but but i do think in terms of trying to you know cash in on the interest within the game, this is the right way to go about it. You know, we've spoken before about FIFA's involvement with the money. So on the flip side of all of this, it always boils down to money. And you know, I love talking about cash. But FIFA <laughs> benefit from this as well. Of course FIFA are gonna benefit hosting a tournament every two years. You know, mm. and all the sponsorship and all of the deals that these countries have to sign, the infrastructure, when we looked into the Qatar World Cup yep. where FIFA, you know, get money off you if you build stadiums for it and all that sort of stuff. So you can definitely see the advantage of the fans saying, "Hey, yeah, the World Cups in my backyard." And FIFA rubbing their hands together, being like, "Yeah, we've got loads of money." And as as as, as interesting as FIFA's plans are, and and Wenger is a saint, FIFA, FIFA <laughs> are very FIFA are very corrupt. So yeah, there's probably there's probably something else boiling on underneath this, which is why they want to do it. But that awaits to be seen.
0: Yeah, true. We discussed before we're on air actually about like how it might look, like how it might interact with the Euros. You know, I mean, if we end up having a World Cup every two years, the chances of the Euros go continue to go ahead is very unlikely. I mean to be honest, as a fan, if you ask me, would I rather watch the World Cup? Because effectively we every other year we get a tournament currently. Um mm. we get, you know, we miss a summer, then we get the Euros, we miss a summer, we get the World Cup. And that happens, you know, it's happened for you know throughout our lifetimes. Um instead it will still be that. It's just that instead of the Euros, it'll be the World Cup. And if you ask me, would I rather watch the World Cup, you know, every other year or one of those years being the Euros, you know what, I'd possibly say the World Cup, (laughs) because I was, you know, I was singing the praises of the Euros, um, earlier in the, earlier in the episode, because I do often find them to be quite good for the, for the fact that they are smaller. Um, but that's also because we're lucky in Europe to have all the, a lot of the best players, um, play in those competitions anyway. Um, so you get that, you get both sides still, you still get the, the kind of, it's smaller, it's, it's closer to home it's easier to travel to if you're a fan wanting to go there they've got more chance of winning it so england got the final this year they've never got haven't got to the final of any competition obviously since 66 but their chances of getting to a world cup final like any country's chances in a world cup versus a continental uh, competition are always going to be slimmer so there are a lot of um positives to the euros but i'd actually possibly rather watch the world cup (laughs) every couple of years um Another benefit that I foresaw as well of having more World Cups, and it, it links this idea of the, the minnows and the developing nations of this world and developing football nations kind of in the mobility side of that is, you know, a lot of players get good get moves, get good moves, manage to, you know, go from yeah. smaller clubs in more developed countries or less developed countries, sorry, um, you know, to, to bigger sides and get good contracts on the back of it. I mean, a good, great example of the high profile names. Biggest one to my mind that came straight away was James Rodriguez. I, I didn't know who the guy was before the World Cup in 2014. He ended up getting the World, sorry, ended up getting the Golden Boot. He scored that World goal, you know. Not long after that, was playing for Real Madrid. He's managed to kind of, you know, mobilize or so his mobility into the game. There has just been so so drastic off the back of that World Cup. We've got Asimojan, went to Sunderland. <laughs> so I throw him in there. Mm,
1: I was waiting for that one. Um,
0: but then, if you just take away the, the well-known names, I mean, there's so many. I was, you know. Um, with work recently, we were working with a Polish consultancy and we played them on, on Wednesday. And they were saying that after the... Because I was mentioning the, the last time Poland did really well in the, t- in the competition. And it was in the 2016 World Cup. They got beaten on pens uh, in the quarterfinals by Portugal. And um, the guy I was talking to was saying that a lot of the players, if not the entire eleven, end up getting good moves at the back of that um, around Europe. Um, notably uh, was Krasiuriak, if i am saying his name correctly, went to PSG um, mm. on the back of that. Um, even I, th- I swear that around that time that Adariz Milik went to Napoli. So I mean, there's a lot of players that are getting good moves. I think Zielinski eventually went to Napoli as well. So for a lot of players, you know that for Europe, European players, and I've just, just described the, the Euros there rather than the World Cup. But that logic still applies if you you are playing for Colombia in the 2022 World Cup and you're not that well known, or you're playing for Peru or any other nation that is the, the footballing world there is more, is still developing. You can. Put yourself on the world stage um and you can almost sell yourself and you can get a really good move at the back of that and the fact that this happens every two years means that those players that don't play in europe or don't play in in big leagues but actually talents coming through that haven't been spotted by the big clubs elsewhere and by data as well there's a big reliance on data now um not yeah. every player shows up in terms of in terms of statistics and depending on who you're looking for dennis burkham for example but um yeah. you know actually these, a lot of players around the world being able to prove themselves on the world stage, even in qualifying, is great for those players, for those developing nations.
1: Yeah, I think, hit, hit the nail on the head, I think a lot of these players are tracked by clubs and, and analysts. I think the key thing is, is is there enough there from what they're seeing beforehand? Is it enough to actually buy them? And that World Cup, when they're going against, in some cases, very high-level opposition, is the confirmation that certain clubs need to buy them. You know, mm. there's we always talk about all the time where you get massive players. You, you, you get very small players in what I'd like to call Europeans B-League. So Genk, I know Genk have produced so many ballers in Diddy, uh, yeah. Kevin De Bruyne, and of Courtois was there. There's, there's, there's hundreds of players that, that come through Genk. And we would say, oh, why do, they not get, why do they not get bought out by big European sides straight away? And sometimes they do in the case of Kevin De Bruyne when he was quite young, but he ended up being sold because Chelsea thought, oh, you know what, he's not going to cut it here. And I think a lot of these players, you know, you're playing in, I know Michelin's another one as well, you are playing in in the World Cup, and then a side might say, "Yeah, we have picked this guy up. That you know, we didn't think he was showing enough in that league to potentially warrant a move. Mm. But you know, he's just kept Mbappe quiet for ninety minutes. Yeah. So then that, that could be the ignition they need to say. Then say, Ah, you know what? We actually will go forward with that transfer, and then we can see these players in the greater stage um, a lot quicker than we might we might not do beforehand. Yeah. Um, so so that'll be that'll be a really interesting point actually if the World Cup was to uh, go every 12 years. So obviously the negatives are quite apparent uh, for a tournament like this. Uh, The main one is clearly the clubs crying. Football clubs just love to cry when it comes to international ball. They they feel like because they pay their their wage, they have this divine right to control the player. Like, Can I drink water? No. Can I breathe? No. Can (laughs) I go to international tournament? No. It's like, you know, it's just held against their will. But a lot of these big European clubs, we spoke before about Africa being in support, African teams are very small in comparison to the international nations. Same with Asia, but then we're talking about the European powerhouses, right? And they have a hell of a lot of say in the ins and outs of football. And they think that the football calendar is too congested and they'll only increase. Uh, Wenger's looked to allay fears of a burnout by introducing a mandatory 25-day break post-tournament. I don't actually know what holidays clubs impose on players that get to the final. I feel like it's one of those discretionary things where they decide the time. Because I know that for some, sometimes if you're third choice goalkeeper, you might come back after. If you let's say you win the tournament, you would probably come back after a fortnight. Because they would say, "Well, you didn't really do anything. You've had a bit of a party, so you can come back earlier." I know some players take a lot longer. That 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 25 day minimum break plus the fact that the tournament is already a month means that essentially you know clubs pre seasons are heavily impacted, and that's already the case now. And you know clubs just aren't really happy with that
0: before the season started i swear there was like that sort of talk was moot in terms of ben Chilwell. he didn't even play <laughs> i know he's, <laughs> he's training to be fair he's training every day they're traveling around it's not like he's been on the beach for a month but he yeah didn't even play.
1: yeah that's the thing isn't it it's just it's that mental state because like third choice goalkeeper is very unique because you're never playing so um. let's let's get that out <laughs> there you're never playing i know to be fair you and i did start for spain i don't really know what ranking he was in terms of keepers going into the tournament but generally speaking you're never playing so yeah. for you to then say yeah i need 25 days off please um yeah the, you know the coach would raise an eyebrow and be like is that necessary but that's what Benga wants to impose i think it's the it's the fear that you know the calendar is too busy already and you know there is that constant thing we saw eric canton i have that speech you know the one where he didn't make any sense, where he was talking about like birds would be flies and flies. Oh, it, was the
0: sea- it was the seagulls. Um, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he was
1: banging. He was banging on about how players are robots and they, they're being used for sport, which is the game, and th- basically their welfare is not cared about, um, which is an ongoing thing in all sports because you want to increase demand, you want to increase engagement, you want to increase the number of games that are being shown, but this will impact the players, right? You can't mm-hmm. play every single game day of the week. Cause it's just, it's just not going to work. So I can understand why clubs are kicking off about that um, and how it will affect the season. You know, there's also the element as well about how it will affect the Euros. We spoke about that before. I know that African nations and Asia as well host tournaments all the time it, it, with our European Glens on, or Lens not Glens, Glens vodka. Uh, sponsoring, this episode, <laughs> sponsoring, sponsoring, <laughs> sponsoring this episode of Y Football. <laughs> I tried to drop it in I uh, You saved new... it. You saved it very well. They're our <laughs> there new partnership, in case you're wondering. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those where how, how will you fit in the Euros as well? Will it diminish that tournament? You know, again, that player burnout thing. You don't really want players who are playing a tournament every summer you know, because then for the best players in the game, that will impact them. If I'm Mohamed Neni that's a bad example. If I'm, <laughs> uh, I, I can't think of, it. but yeah, Enrico a good one because he's not going to be at loads of open cup of nations because Gabon don't go. And he's not going to be at any World Cups particularly because Gabon don't go, even though he's a very good player. But then when you start taking your Sterlings, your Benuchis, your Neymars, that is impacting every summer because Brazil are going to get there, England are going to get there, Italy are normally going to get there. And then we talk about burnouts for these players, when do they recover, you know? you know, We're seeing players put off surgeries like Marcus Rashford, but then when does it end? Oh, if I wait till summer I've got the Euros, oh, but then I'm going to miss the start of the season for United. And then if I'm injured for four months for United, I might miss the World Cup squad because it's the next year. So it's, <laughs> yeah. like, so it, it's yeah. the element of player welfare, which I think they have to balance. Uh, and I'm not too sure how they manage to do it.
0: No, I think it's, it's a great point. I mean, if we're just constantly playing tournaments every year, and year, I mean, I hope we don't, because I think every year is excessive. Like, that gap in between, I think, gives you that hunger back. I think, to be honest, I wouldn't mind see the World Cup replace the Euros, and so have that every two years. It'd be a bit of a shame, I suppose. Um, But if you've got more World Cups, then there's more chance of these even European nations hosting it. So I think it's still beneficial. I think for negatives for me, there's, there's kind of two, maybe three points on that. I mean, we touched on it earlier around how hosting World Cups is not always great for developing nations. A great example of that is the is the, um, the World Cup in South Africa. We talked about in the last World Cup and around this idea that FIFA like to award tournaments now and again to developing nations because it develops a lot of construction contracts. Someone like South America was not prepared for a World Cup. You know, they prepared their bid, their plans, fair enough. Not if, you know, they would have had six or seven years or whatever to, to build, to get ready, but... They weren't prepared for that a lot of con- um, construction work needs to be done in certain nations like in qatar that is the same and also in qatar we've seen the human issue human rights issues around that because you know some of these nations do have different views on human rights at uh, one and two mm-hmm. again they have so much infrastructure to build and in such a short space of time um yeah. that it, the pressures are massive and the the, the, the the amounts involved are massive and it creates this pressure environment environment that leads to people being abused and people getting taken avan- advantage of like in, in Qatar, it's tricky because, you know, when it, when it was in South Africa, it was great. I mean, you know, you saw the culture, you know, um, flourish. Um, I, I mean, I hated the Vuvuzelas, I've got to say. But to, <laughs> these tournaments going to like these nations, that never had it before. It really is a celebration of culture and it's really great. But the legacy in, in South Africa isn't great following the World Cup. These stadiums that have been built, they're not utilized because they're having got the demand for that. And so, and, you know, it's almost like FIFA, FIFA and the World Cup have came to town, it's been brilliant, and then they've left without, without caring. Now that those construction contracts and sponsorship deals and whatnot have, have, have all been um, have all been paid up, then they don't care. And that, that's that's a major <laughs> issue. Um, the, the other one we haven't touched on is climate change as well. I mean, the World Cup has a huge carbon cost, uh, like any sporting competition, but I mean, it's arguably the world's largest event. So this is not particularly setting a great example by not only expanding the tournament to 48 teams and also going over a multi we talk we've had multi kind of country or multi-nation tournaments before in the euros is a good example with like poland and ukraine the the mexico us canada world cup is just massive it's like a whole continent yes. and that's gonna kind of have a massive carbon cost i mean the qatar world cup is set to emit around 3.6 million tons of co2 I don't really know the context in terms of whether there's a lot or not. I assume it is. Um, it's possibly low for a World Cup because it's such a small um, such a small uh, nation, so you don't have that, you know, the, the, the travel within it is going to be less, but obviously the travel to it is still going to be as high uh, yeah. as it would to any to any competition. But, you know, FIFA have said before, and I, I remember reading an article, I think it was by Jack Pitbrook in The Athletic around the FIFA World Cups and the, the carbon cost. And FIFA's, you know, like any organisations, kind of, argument against their carbon emission um, or emitting is that they're going to start planting trees. I mean, I'm sorry, right, but the carbon cost of what you're doing is right now, <laughs> it, amid a climate crisis, if you start, say you're going to start planting some shrubs out in your garden that going to take 20, 30 years to grow to <laughs> offset that, that doesn't help anything, or it might do in 30 years, <laughs> about six, seven World Cups later, you're constantly going to be delayed in that offset. So <laughs> it's just, I just find it, I find it crazy because they they do that so they can then say, okay so this offset equals x amount and therefore and the carbon cost up front is x amount therefore we've got a carbon neutral competition you haven't really have you
1: <laughs> <laughs> no you, you yeah you really haven't but it's one of those right where it helps uh when when your bed is made of 20 pound
0: notes and your pillow is made of 50s it helps you sleep a little bit easier because <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's not it's 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 an issue if this is society as a whole this isn't just an issue that is is like exclusive to the world cup or fifa you know consumerism as a whole and this this forms part of that is part of a major part of um climate change and carbon emissions so it isn't just fifa they've got to deal with this but they've got to be part of it man and as i said this is the biggest arguably the biggest sporting event and, and biggest in terms of size and you know reach of any sporting competition so it's, it, the fact that they're expanding and they're not trying to bring down the, the carbon costs is, is pretty damning i think Yeah, you're not wrong. man. like, it's one of those where it's it's even with
1: FIFA, and we spoke before about how they're corrupt and how they shouldn't be trusted. They gave a World Cup to Qatar. After all the tests and all the checks, we did a pod on it talking about how they managed to do that. And they thought, "Ah, you know what, they actually can't host it in the summer. Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) what? You, 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 delegates, or however it worked. I think it was like three stages. I can't remember the ins and outs. You've all gone there, and you then said to yourselves, "Yeah, right. Yeah, we can do this in the summer. Yet, fantastic stuff. Everyone votes. Then suddenly, you're like, hmm." yeah well what were they going to do air conditioned towns or something air conditioned domes, <laughs> stadiums yeah yeah, yeah. P- people stuff travel from a to b mate not gonna... <laughs> it's like... and that's the, that's the whole thing with fifa right it's a lot of these big companies it's not it's not just people as well it's a massive organization when it comes to the ins and outs of climate change it's always a case of look at this new shiny toy okay how are you going to achieve it or how are you going to offset it? Or how are you going to make it work i uh, haven't really thought about it bit through we'll plant trees that's <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's that's our go-to and, and 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 that's a really really good point for this um so it'd be interesting to see how Wenger evolves in that plan. But um yeah, I'm skeptical as to whether you'll give the right answer. Mm,
0: I mean, you know, all love to Wenger as well. So you can do no harm and do no wrong. But yeah, thank you, Etches um, for the episode today on uh, whether we'll have a World Cup every two years, which you know, it would be great in some ways, but I think there's just there's a lot of question marks over it and again as you said around like the plans for like, even as far ahead as the 2028 world cup we're probably not going to see it um come into any sort of realistic plans for for a long time and as you said by then you'll be in your 60s so yeah, exactly. but, yeah but yeah thank you and uh, yeah, thank you all for listening continue to subscribe with us on all our platforms and we'll see you next time cheers guys